listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our most recent weekend service located on our downtown Brea campus. We hope you are encouraged and strengthened from today's episode. Now for a timely message from Senior Pastor Kelly Fellows. Something happened this week, which I guess was pretty historic. If you hear, uh, here in Southern California, Christmas came early for somebody in Altadena. $2 billion was was given away by the like. Can you imagine $2 billion? I mean, that's a crazy number. I mean, just to even imagine $2 million just being given is a lot, but $2 billion. Man, somebody in the Altadena area is just, this Christmas is going to be great for them and their whole family. You can only imagine, you know, they were probably already planning, well, you're going to get socks and you're going to get underwear this year. You're going to get a sock factory. You're going to get an underwear factory. You know, <laughs> that's a lot of money. It actually reminded me of a story, a true story about a guy by the name of Russell Herman from Marion, Illinois. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. Uh, Russell was a carpenter and he died actually back in 1994. He was 67 years old and uh, he became famous uh, in that area because his will, his last will and testament was delivered to the local television station. And uh, the attorney said uh, Russell had asked that this would be read online or read on the television uh, station. And so that evening news opened up Russell's last will and testament and began to read it. And it stated that he bequeathed $2.4 million to a town called Caven Rock. And then he also bequeathed $2 million to the city of East St. Louis, He gave $1.4 million for projects in the southeastern Illinois area. You can imagine these city officials were getting really excited, like, man, we're going to get our thing started. And a final act of unprecedented generosity, he said, he left $10 million to the Federal Reserve to help pay down the national debt. So that everybody in America, I mean, well, that's not very much, considering our national debt is $31 trillion right now. City leaders got excited. People around the area got excited. People who knew Russell uh, were interviewed and said, yeah, he used to talk about money that he had hidden away. And now I guess it's true. Unfortunately, Mr. Herman was also a pathological liar and prankster. And for his final prank, even after death, It was found out one week later that his will and testament was bogus and all he owned to himself was a 1984 Oldsmobile worth $1,500. True story, this prank that he even got it and read on the TV was just something that he said he wanted to do as a last prank in life. Have you ever been promised something and it never came to pass? Kind of disappointing, isn't it? Kind of a letdown. Mr. Herman's story is a good reminder that you really can't give away what you really don't have. And you really shouldn't even try. You shouldn't even try to make promises. Matter of fact, my dad was in sales. He sold a heavy construction equipment. And he used to say, son, here's what you do. You under-promise and you over-deliver. That way you'll always have happy customers. Because when you over-promise and under-deliver... Yeah, your whole reputation will be destroyed. And sadly, people do overpromise. They do overpromise because they don't have the resources to fulfill those promises. But you know what we're finding out? That's not God. 
God promises, and he has the resources. He has the wisdom. He has the peace. He has the provision that we need, right? He is a promise keeper. And that's exactly what we've been discovering in this series called Immovable. As we're journeying through the principles and the practices of covenanting, where God makes a covenant promise, not just a handshake, but literally signs in blood the promise that he will keep his covenants. We've examined those covenants. We've seen the history of covenants, how they were established in humanity. We examined God's covenant with Noah and Abraham. Remember last week we found out God even changed Abram's name to Abraham so that his name would be imprinted upon Abraham's name forever as proof that he is a promise keeper. Today, what I want to do is I want to look at some of the examples of how God kept his covenant with God's, with his people. So we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 2. If you're a note taker today, the very top of your journal, you may want to write, today's message is called Open Your Mouth. Matter of fact, when you were a little kid, you probably got, got told all the time, hey, shut your mouth. Hey, shut your mouth. Keep your mouth closed. Come on. Like this. Today, I want to tell you, open your mouth. Open your mouth. And you're going to see in a few minutes what that is all about. We pick up at the time in Exodus chapter 2. When Abraham's descendants, now these are his children's children, had multiplied and grown immensely. They were known as the Israelites. You all recognize that name? It's even to this day a very powerful and prominent country in the world, Israel. They were named the Israelites after Abraham's grandson, Jacob. God had changed Jacob's name to Israel and all of Israel's descendants. He had 12 sons, and so they became the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were known as the Israelites. The Israelites experienced abundant growth. The blessing of God was upon them. As a matter of fact, they even went to the country of Egypt during a time of famine, and God provided not only for them, but provided abundantly for Egypt because remember God's promise that I will bless those who bless you. But there was a, a king in his Egypt that was raised up and was threatened by the size and the strength of the Israelites. So he oppressed and he enslaved them. Let's take a look here at Exodus chapter 2 and hear what's going on. Years passed, decades passed actually, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and here it is, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew now is the time to act. Now, earlier back in Genesis, Egypt had been blessed during a time of famine, because they sheltered and cared for the Israelites. And remember what God had promised to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. There in Genesis 12, 3. And so Egypt was blessed. But under the rule of Pharaoh, they began to oppress the Israelites. They began to abuse, misuse, and mistreat them. And so they were about to find out the second part of God's promise. 
A lot of us love that. I will bless those who bless you. Yes, I want the blessing. Come on. And remember God said, and I'll curse those who curse you. I got your back. And unfortunately for Egypt, they were mistreating the wrong people. Because now God, having to be faithful and true to his promise, now his judgment must fall. And that's what we see in this second part of that, the blessings and the curses. As abundant as God's blessings are, his vengeance is reciprocal. It's equal and powerful. I want you to notice something. Go back to that verse there, Matthew, really quickly. Uh, the one before that, thank you. It says this, it says, and God remembered. It says he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham. I love that. I love that, that God remembers. It was 500 years before when God had promised to Abram that he would bless them and curse those who curse him. This was 500 years before, and now God remembers. He never forgets. Hundreds of years have passed since Abraham had made that oath with God. In chapter 3, we now begin to see God fulfilling his covenant as he raises up a man by the name of Moses. Moses. Take a look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. God says to Moses here in Exodus 3, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Somebody in here needs to hear that. 500 years of oppression, and God says, I hear their suffering. God is not some distant force out somewhere in the Marvel Universe somewhere playing games with his creations. No, this is a real God who's really passionate and really concerned about what's going on with his creation and specifically the ones that he has made covenant with. <clears throat> I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I know some people, when you read that thing, you kind of have this Willy Wonka picture in your brain, right? Like, okay, flowing with milk of rivers and honey dripping from trees. Sounds kind of gooey and messy, doesn't it? Yeah, I know that's how I think about it. When I first read this as a young person, I was like, okay, is this some sort of weird kind of, you know, factory kind of place? But it's not. Because if you think about it, in a land that's flowing with milk, where does milk come from? In America, cows. In some places in the world, goats. You know, goat milk is also very popular and very healthy. But what that's saying is if it's a land flowing with milk, that means there's a whole lot of cattle. That means there's a whole lot of cows or goats. That means this land has abundance in livestock. That's what that means. And then honey, dripping with honey. I mean, it's not like sticky walking through these this roads filled with honey. Where does honey come from? Bees. And do you know that even to this day, bees are the number one source of helping to pollinate vegetation. 
You know that, right? And if there's a, a decrease in the bee population, it affects our agriculture. Matter of fact, I remember uh, for a few years, I would drive across the middle of the America as I was doing ministry, and I would drive across Nebraska and Kansas, and I'd see these huge fields of agriculture. And around the fields were these white boxes that were placed all around the fields. And I can remember... I came into one church one time. I said, hey, I'm kind of curious. What are those white boxes around all the, the fields and stuff? They go, oh, those are bees. I go, bees? They go, yeah. There's actually companies that will rent you their bees. Um, what? They said, yeah, because they help to pollinate naturally the, the plants so that they can produce more. So there are guys that literally come in with boxes of bees and place them around the farms and allow the bees to live out there and to do what bees do. We need bees so that our agriculture can flourish. So if it's a land flowing with milk and honey, what that means is God is going to bring his people into a, plant, a place where there is livestock, where there is vegetation where there is agriculture. Do you know something interesting to this day? Do you know that little tiny country in Israel is the center of agriculture in the Middle, in the Middle East? Matter of fact, we send farmers to Israel to learn how they do what they do because their land produces so much rich crops. Isn't that amazing? The promises of God thousands of years ago still coming, past, coming to pass today. I want you to notice something also. The first thing God says is, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Look how God introduces himself to Moses. Moses is standing there. There's, and you might know the story in the book of Exodus. There's a bush that seems to be burning that's not consumed by flames. Obviously, something supernatural is happening. And the voice of God begins to speak out of the flames. And he introduces himself to Moses as the God of who? God of Abraham. Remember, God had made a covenant with Abraham and tied himself to Abraham forever. And so he introduces himself as the God of Abraham. 400 years had passed since Abraham had died. And God still identifies himself because his name was tied to the covenant. This conversation continues with Moses, and for the sake of time, I'm going to speed through. There's a number of scriptures I want to share with you today. But it says, in this same conversation with Moses, God continues in Exodus 3.15. Take a look on the screen. God says, thus you shall say to the children of Israel that he was sending him to, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And look what he says. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. If you heard the message last week, you heard that God literally inserts his name into Abraham's name so that forever, every generation would realize that the God of the universe is tied and connected to humanity and will keep his promises. God says this will be his name forever from every generation. He reaffirms that this will be tied to his covenant promises. Now, we could spend time on Moses. We could talk about the Ten Commandments. We could spend time on the plagues, and many of you know the stories. I'm not going to spend a, little, a lot of time on that today. We could read about the dramatic delivery from slavery that God did and delivered them from the might and the power of Egypt, God proving that he is more mighty than any mighty army. But I want to encourage you to read the book of Exodus. What I want to do right now is I want to pause and I want to jump fast forward. 
I want to jump 500 years later from that event to a time when David was the king of Israel. Israel now is this powerful nation. Israel now is, is respected and actually feared around the Middle East at this point, 500 years later under David's rule, because they're this great nation. God had fulfilled his covenant promises and made them a great nation. And now David is king. But God speaks through Asaph, the choir director for David, and has Asaph write a song and write these words to remind his generation of God's covenant promises. Psalm chapter 81. God speaks through Asaph to remind the generation of his enduring covenant. Look what it says in Psalm chapter 81, beginning at verse 5. God made a law for Israel when he attacked Egypt and set us free. I heard an unknown voice say, this is now the prophecy, now I will take the load from your shoulders. I will free your hands from their heavy tasks. You cried to me in trouble and I saved you. I answered out of the thundercloud and tested your faith when there was no water at Meribah. Listen to me, God says, O my people, while I give you stern warning, O Israel, if you would only listen to me, you must never have a foreign God. You must not bow down before a false God, for it was I, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it with good things." 500 years has passed since that deliverance. 500 years has passed since that supernatural miracle. And this current generation with David is starting to wander and starting to move away from God's ways. So God speaks and says, don't forget what I did. Don't bow to foreign gods, for I am your God. Open your mouth and I will fill it with good things. God so faithfully and lovingly reminds that generation of what he had done. He reminds David's generation how he kept his covenant promise to his people. And now God wants to remind you. God moved upon my heart months ago to preach this message, to look back and see how God had been so faithful to his promises and to remind you he is still faithful to those promises. In the same way that Asaph looked back 500 years back and said, look what God did for, so that that generation would walk on track. Today, God wants me to speak to you and say, let's look back and see how God fulfilled his promises so that you would stay on track and not bow down to any false gods that the world would put up before us. For all those false gods are powerless, ultimately unsatisfying. They don't fulfill you. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a few minutes. I've just got a few more minutes in our service. And I want to show you from the experience in Exodus how God provided for his people so that it would be a testimony for you. First is this. Take a look on the screen. God is a covenant keeper, and here's how he proved it to those people way back in the book of Exodus. The first one was with direction. Direction. Everybody say direction. direction. If you're a note taker. When the people 
Now we're back in the event of Exodus. When the people left Egypt, after God had set them free, they didn't know where to go. Can you imagine? It's estimated that there were approximately 2 million people that were set free from Egypt's slavery. That's a pretty big deal. You can see why the Pharaoh was a little upset because that's 2 million people who were doing all the hard work. Egypt was built on the backs of the Israelites. And so he's a little worried that economically, how are they going to survive? Because the Egyptians, hey, they don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to build the pyramids. Let's let the Israelites do that. Now they're set free. Two million people. And now they don't know where to go. See, God had just raised up Moses and said, go and bring, speak to the Israelites. Tell them the God of Abraham is now going to set them free. Can you imagine? They all get outside of Egypt, and now they're all looking at Moses going, where are we supposed to go now? We've been living here for 400 years. Where are we supposed to go? And Moses is probably going, I don't know. God just said, get you free. Now I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I said yes to God, and now I don't know what to do. You know, there's men and women that do that all the time. Today, we say yes to God, and now I don't know what to do. I'm used to going to the bar to get, you know, medicated. I'm used to going here, I'm used to going there, and this is what I'm so used to. The reality is that was bondage, just like the slaves of Egypt. They were used to going to be slaves. They were used to going to get food in a certain way. They were used to live in a certain way, and now God has set them free, and they're going, we don't know where to go. That's the way a lot of men and women are today. They're set free, but they don't know where to go. Here's the promise. God will give you direction. Look what God did. Exodus chapter 13. It says, then the Lord went ahead of them. He guided, everybody say guided. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. They didn't need Google Maps. They didn't need Siri. They didn't need any of that kind of stuff. They had heavenly GPS. All they had to do was look up. Ooh, isn't that profound? They, all they had to do was look up and they would know which way to go. Follow the leading of God. Isn't that beautiful? God gave them direction. Another thing that I notice here is God gave them shelter. Shelter. Life in the desert was harsh. It was hot. Anybody ever been out to the Mojave Desert? I don't like it. It's dry. It's hot. My, fam my wife's family loves to go out to, uh, what's, that, what's that dead place? Uh, Death Valley, yeah. <laughs> I know it was something about dead. Yeah, see, somebody just said beautiful. Who said that? Who said it's beautiful? You crazy, girl. It's so dry. It's so hot. I get out of the car. I don't have anything protecting my head. I get hat upon hat upon hat and sunglasses and sunscreen because it's hot out there in Death Valley. The Middle East is just like that. Hottest place on earth is Death Valley and where these Israelites were walking. Death Valley and that part of the Middle East is hot. What are they going to do? How are they supposed to survive? At night, it would get bitter cold too. It'd be hot in the sunshine. But then when the sun would go away, it would get cold and the wind would sweep through there. Man, it could get bitter cold. How's God going to provide for them? 
Well, you know that pillar of cloud by the day and that pillar of fire at night? Isn't it interesting that God created a cloud to shelter them and fire to keep them warm? You see, it wasn't just for direction, but it was shelter too. Look, Psalm chapter 105 verse 39 says this. The Lord spread a cloud above them as a covering. As a covering. It wasn't just direction, but it was shelter. And he gave them a great fire to light the darkness. Not just a bright light, not just a star like we read about at Christmas time, but a pillar of fire. Why? To keep them warm at night. Cool by day and warm at night. Before there was man-made HVAC that you could just turn a switch and, oh, cool off. And I know some of you in here sometimes go, oh, it's too cold. Oh, it's too hot. Turn on the air. God was way ahead of any modern HVAC. And he created a temperature-controlled environment in the middle of the desert. Supernaturally provided for them shelter. Do you see it? He's a covenant keeper. He's a covenant keeper. Okay, two million people. We get it. Now they've got direction. Now they've got shelter. How are they going to survive? Uh, we got some folks here that work at Disneyland. Um, a number of people. Do you know how much food it takes to feed people at Disneyland? I don't, but I know it's a lot. Because everywhere you go at Disneyland, they got food carts, they got restaurants, and they're cranking out tons and tons of food just to feed 70,000 people. Because that's about the occupancy of Disneyland, around 70,000 people. Think about having to feed 2 million people every day. If you're Moses and you're a leader, you'd be freaking out. I know I'd be like, okay, yay, we're free. Woo, we got a shelter, we got a cloud, we got a fire. I'm sure I'd be looking back going, now how are we going to feed all them? We got some cattle. We got some livestock that we're bringing with us, but we would have plowed through that really fast, right? Celebration barbecue, whack all the animals. Woohoo! Now what do we eat? God had a plan. And it wasn't just any plan, but it was a yummy, yummy plan. Take a look what it says in Exodus. God provides food for his people. It says, then the Lord, Exodus 16, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. By the way, pause for a second. Where's it coming from? Heaven. Cloud by day, fire, pillow or fire by night, raining food from heaven. God wants you to look up. Lift up your head. Don't be downcast. Don't be worried, but lift up your head. That's what he's telling his people. But God had a plan. Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Look what it says. Each day, the people can go out, pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they'll follow my instructions. What he me meant in that is later on, we would find out that that food, if they tried to keep it for more than one day, it would rot. It could only last for one day. Why was that? Mm, God wants us dependent on him every single day. Every single day. So here's what they would do. It says, I will test them in this to see whether or not they'll follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food. And when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Some would go, well, what does that mean? Well, so that the seventh day you would honor it in Sabbath and not work. Basically, he wanted people to go to church. 
Back then, he's saying, come on, go to church. I'll give you enough food for six days. And now that seventh day, take time to be with me, Sabbath. One of the things I love is that there was just enough food for that day. Just enough food. And check it out. It wasn't just granola bars falling from heaven. All right, we're not, this was incredible. Matter of fact, the Bible describes what this food is like. Let me read it to you. It's there in Numbers chapter 11. The book of Numbers describes it like this. Take a look on the screen. <clears throat> this was called manna. Manna actually is translated from Hebrew to mean, what is this? Kind of a good word. What is this? We don't even know what this is. We don't even have a word for it. So we're going to call it, what is this? So the what is this looked like, what does it say? Coriander seed. And it was pale yellow like gum resin. And the people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills and pounding it into mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. They, these cakes tasted like pastries baked with oil. Do you know what those were? Donuts. <laughs> but the Bible says right there, baby, donuts. <laughs> Boil it in a pot. These cakes tasted like pastry baked with olive oil. Mmm. So imagine your favorite donut every single day. But here's the cool thing. This was heavenly food. You didn't have to worry about your waistline. This was healthy. This had all the nourishment that these people needed. That's a miracle if a donut can be nutritious, don't you think? That alone is a miracle. That's the kind of miracle I want. So now what I do is when I go to the donut shop, I say, God, make it like manna. Come on, Lord. I don't know if it works. <laughs> Two million people had to eat every day, and God said, I will give you food. I will give you food. The next one, water. Water. We can go without food for quite a while, up to 40 days. We can go without food. But water, what do they say, like three days? About three days, your body, your organs start to shut down. Two million people need water. And where are they at? They're not in Hawaii. They're in a desert. They're in a desert. For any other nation, this would have meant disaster without a water source. I can only imagine those second in command with Moses. They're walking out of Egypt. Where are we going to go? I don't know. Oh, God's giving us direction. Come on, let's go. And they keep on going. They keep on going. Oh, God. Moses, we got to feed the people. They're starting to get a little rowdy over here. Okay, Lord. Oh, food from heaven. No problem. No problem. No problem. And they're walking along. You know, these leaders are going, Moses, my gosh, couldn't you have thought this through a little bit better? Couldn't you have planned maybe a water source of some sort? Because what kind of leader are you? Just following God blindly without making a plan? You're an idiot of a leader. No, he was a faithful man. And God blessed his faithfulness as well as the promise that he had made to Abraham. This wasn't a problem for God's people because they were in covenant with God. You need to hear this. This wasn't a problem. They were facing something that would be disastrous to any nation. We experience droughts here in Southern California. Our lawns get brown. We have to ration our water. We know what it's like, sort of, what these people were feeling, a little. 
And though the whole story is found in, in the book of Exodus and Numbers, I like how Asaph in, Philippi, or in Proverbs chapter 78 sums up what God did. Psalm 78 verses 15 through 16 say this. God, he split open the rocks, split open the rocks in the wilderness to give them water as from a gushing spring, spring. And this isn't like a little water fountain, you know, no, no, no. This is saying it was gushing out. He made streams, plural, but I say streams, not a stream, but streams. This thing had to be flowing out for 2 million people poured from the rock, making waters flow down like a river. Anybody ever seen, I wish I'd had a video of it, when they open up the uh, aqueducts and let the water just, that's what I imagine when I read this. Because two million people need water. It's flowing out, and the Bible says that God did it for them. The U.S. government reports that the average American consumes 80 gallons of water per day. This includes bathrooming, showering, eating, um, well, and they also include all the agriculture in our areas, all the industry that we use water for, everything that we use. They average, it's about 80 gallons per person per day. Gosh, do the math on that one right now if you're a math person. Now, the Israelites didn't have agriculture yet. They weren't watering fields yet. But they still needed water for drinking. They still had to give water to their livestock. They still needed to bathe, even if it was just once in a while. They needed cleaning and cooking. If we conservatively estimate that maybe they needed, they were able to conserve and live on five gallons a day, let's say. We're just estimating. That would be 10 million gallons of water every single day were needed. Gosh, I think Governor Newsom should come into con covenant with uh, God, don't you think? Because we could use that here in California, right? We're trying to come up with all sorts of solutions to help our drought, because this is an arid climate. The difference was these people were in covenant with God, and they were looking to him to be their source of life. Lastly for this morning, Finances. Finances. People of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. Imagine, they'd been day laborers. They'd been hardworking people. And if they left, they didn't have a savings account. They didn't have stuff with them because everything belonged to the Egyptians. What were they going to do? Oh, well, God had a plan for that. God had a plan for that. He wanted to redeem all those years that they worked their butts off. Exodus chapter 3, verse 21. Look what God says. I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors. Basically, God said, just go ask, and they're going to give it to you. 400 years of slavery, 400 years of oppression. Redemption was coming. God was going to redeem. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 105, verse 37. It says, the Lord brought, out, brought his people out of Egypt loaded with silver and gold, and not one among the tribes of Israel even stumbled. 
In other words, what, what that translates to mean is they didn't have to steal anything. They didn't have to borrow or beg for anything because every single one of them had all that they needed. God provided retroactive pay for 400 years of free labor. Everyone was paid. This is clearly financial provision. When we trust God and obey his covenant terms, God says, I will provide for you. I will provide for you. The list of examples goes on and on and on. I could spend, we could sit here all day long and I could keep going through scripture after scripture after scripture of how God is true to his covenant promises. But let me just sum it up. Tatiana, come on up. I'm going to sum it up. How God keeps his covenant goes on and on. And I'm going to sum it up here from Psalm 105. Back to Asaph. Look what he said. He is the Lord, our God. Psalm 105, verse 7. He is the Lord, our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. He always stands by his covenant. The commitment he made to a thousand generations. This is the covenant he made with Abraham and the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree and to the people of Israel as a never-ending covenant. For you here today, for those in the tent and those watching online right now, this word is for you. Though it's been 4,000 years since God formed this blood covenant with Abraham, God is still in covenant with his people. His promises are from generation to generation. And he's just as committed now as he was then. God wanted me to share this with you in the same way that Asaph shared it with his generation about what had happened. Now I'm sharing with you what had happened so that you can be encouraged and look to God as your source. You might be like the Israelites right now, in bondage to something that's controlling you. Trapped, enslaved to anger, to fear, anxiety, alcohol, other substances that have you in bondage. God wants to set you free. And he hears the cries of your heart. And he says, I love you. And I'm committed to seeing my promises come to pass in your life. You may be at a place in your life where you feel like you're wandering around in the desert, just like those Israelites were. And you're wondering, which way do I go? And if I go that way, how am I going to make it? You need direction. You need provision. You need protection. God wants you to look up and open your mouth so that he can fill it with good things. The picture I have in my mind when I read that scripture is this picture. Take a look. It's a mother bird. You know what those babies do? Even if mommy isn't around, mommy's out collecting it, they open their mouths wide. Have you ever seen this live? It's amazing. They stretch out their necks as far as they can. They don't want to miss a single bit of it. They open those beaks as wide as they can. And mama fills up the birds. 
And she flies away to go get more. The babies eat it and boom, open, they open their mouths again. That's what God wants you to do. Open your mouth and allow him to fill you. Allow him to fill you. Psalm 81.10, open your mouth wide, God says, and I will fill it with good things. What do you need? Do you need peace? Do you need provision? Do you need direction and wisdom? God wants to fill you. Simply call out to him, commit your heart and life to him, and allow him to fill you. Psalm 81.10, this is your verse for today. You may want to take a picture of it. You may want to remember this because God is saying, open your mouth. We're going to close with this song. And while we close with this song, I'm going to encourage you to sing. Open your mouth and sing. It's kind of interesting. little sidebar. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about how to be filled with God's spirit. It says in Ephesians 5, it says, be filled with my spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's a, correct, there's a connection and a correlation to us opening our mouths and praising God. It's like the birds. Matter of fact, when those birds are stretching out their neck, they're making noises, right? They're going, ah, they're in their bird way, they're saying, feed me. Open your mouth today. Open your mouth. Would you stand with me? Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word today. Whether we need peace, whether we need provision, whether we need wisdom, whether we need direction, today we're opening our mouths, O oh Lord God. Fill us. In the same way you cared for and took care of your people thousands of years ago, God, you are the same today, and you want to care for and feed your people. So as we sing these song, this song and say these words, oh God, we pray you would fill us in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more great content and information about Refinery Church, find us at wearerefinery.com and our socials, We Are Refinery. If you would like to help support and give to the ministry, visit our website at wearerefinery.com forward slash give. See you on our next episode at the Refinery Church Podcast.